0: Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at DougRobersonAJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and on Instagram at DouglasDavidRoberson. It is September 16th, 2021, and last night Atlanta United defeated Cincinnati 4 0 in an MLS game at Mercedes Benz Stadium. The win was at Atlanta United's sixth in its past seven games, and it moved it into the playoffs for now, uh, into seventh place. The team has a huge game on Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium when it hosts DC United, uh, which it lead, or which trails, I should say, by one point in the standings. DC is in fifth place with 34 points. And Atlanta United is within is in seventh with thirty three points. It's important for Atlanta United to try to get to at least fourth place, which is held currently by NYCFC with thirty five points, because then you get to host a home playoff game. So beating DC United, if it can do so, because DC United is playing very well, it won its game last night. Uh, it would move. It could move above. NYCFC, depending upon what it does this weekend. It also depends upon what Montreal does. And of course Miami is sitting there in 8th with 32 points. Uh, So the East is going to be for the Philadelphia has 32 points. Columbus has 30. So it's going to be a fun race to the end. The Red Bull, Chicago, Cincinnati, and Toronto are very much out of it. Goals last night were scored by Luis Araujo, his first goal for Atlanta United, and it was a brilliant, brilliant goal, and I don't use that term Often, Um, A lot of people like to throw around Galazzo for shots. This was a Galazzo just of a total goal. Um, I just wrote about it. I hope you'll read that story again. You can find it on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. And that was assisted by Alan Franco. Joseph Martinez followed in the 40th minute with a header. Also assisted by Alan Franco. Joseph Martinez followed again in the 55th minute. Assisted by Ezekiel Barco and Alan Franco. And there's a trend there. And then Ezekiel Barco with a free kick in the 86th minute. Alan Franco had three assists. I still don't know why he was given an assist on the Joe's first goal, but he was. So he became the first Atlanta United player to accomplish that feat in franchise history. I thought that perhaps Almiron or Gressel um, had done so uh, in the past, uh, but they had not, according to Johannes at Atlanta United's super duper talented stats guy. Um, so there you go. That was a, That's a little bit interesting. Um, or not a little bit interesting. It's very interesting. And congrats to Alan Franco. It was Atlanta United's seventh shutout this season and second consecutive after it beat Orlando 3-0 in its previous game. Atlanta United had 15 shots to Cincinnati's 11, put nine on goal to Cincinnati's 3, dominated possession 61% to 39%, and had 571 total passes to Cincinnati's 350. Cincinnati did have a couple of good chances in the first half to score, but really failed to do so, obviously, or if they would have scored a goal. Um, It was a very, very good performance by Atlanta United. Once again, Gonzalo Pineda set them up very well uh, to try to get three points from this game. Be very, very curious to see what happens on Saturday, because D.C. United is not going to sit back. They are going to press and press hard. You press Atlanta United hard, and you can get burned, uh, especially with uh, and Barco, and Moreno's not nearly as fast as those two guys, but he knows how to get rid of the ball. So we will see what happens. Now, y'all asked some excellent, excellent questions, and I'm going to get into those right now. But first, I'm going to take a little sip of coffee so I can get juiced up and ready to roll. There we go. All right. And down the stretch we come. On to Nick. Always a good friend of the podcast. Do you stand by your prediction from a few weeks ago that this Atlanta United team will make the playoffs? I have more confidence now than before, which is nice to feel again. Enjoy your morning coffee. I'm about to sip some myself. I do think this team is going to make the playoffs. I've written a few times that I think it needs about 45 points to make the playoffs because that has been the number for the 7th place team in the past few years. Not last year because it was a different year, but in the previous years. So they are 12 points from that with 10 games remaining. They're averaging 1.38 points per game. So obviously they should get 14 points or so, um, which would give them 47 points. Now, this year is tough because the East, there are a lot of teams really packed within the East. Atlanta United is still only five points behind reeling Orlando. It wouldn't surprise me if Orlando finishes lower in the table. Um, you know, Orlando had a great year last year, but the franchise trend for them in the summer is they collapse. Oscar Pereira's trend at Dallas in the summer was to collapse. And you're starting to see that from Orlando right now, still a lot of talent, but Gerald D.K' is doing hardly anything. Chris Mueller's doing hardly anything, and Nanny got, I think, uh, two yellows and is out last night. That was put, sent off last night, which is not good. Um, and Nanny also has an unfortunate history of kind of collapsing the second half of MLS seasons. So we will see what happens. But you put all those trends together and you've got to think it's not very good for Orlando. On to Ben. He asks, Anton Walks wasn't on the bench tonight. Yeah, I wrote about that the other day and tweeted it. Um, he suffered a mild hamstring strain against Orlando, and so leaving him out tonight was just a precautionary measure. We could see him running around the training field on Tuesday. He looked fine. Um, and no, Ben, I would never be angry with you. Do I think Bello has lost his starting position to Moraney? No, but it is curious why Bello did not – Get to did not start last night. I think part of it was just all the training time that he missed under Pineda while he was with the U.S. Uh, training camp for its World Cup qualifying games. I think, I don't know if Bello is going to start on Saturday, but I think you'll probably see him start the next game after that. Um, I do think it's just missed training time and understanding what Pineda wants him to do as a wingback. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. Bello, I thought came on and, and was impactful. He had a shot uh, saved. Um, he's got a bright future. I wouldn't worry about him. Ben's third question: What is your description of this formation system? I call it a 3 three-one-six because I'm not a big fan of it. It didn't seem to work for long stretches of the first half against a poor Cincinnati side. If I'm being generous, maybe it's a three-three-one-three or a three-five-two in the loosest way possible. I know fans make too much of formations at the time, but please humor me and take a crack at this formation. It, last night was kind of a um, – it, it was more of a 3-4-3 formation um, at the beginning, which was – it was odd because you had Joseph on the left and Barco as the striker, uh, or Ahujo on the right, and I think that was to confuse Cincinnati the wingbacks were the other two midfield guys with Moreno and two in the middle. And then you had the three center backs. Um, so that's, that's what I think that it was. And then, you know, there were some changes that were made. Martinez went back to the middle and Barco over to the left with Arahujo staying on the right, uh, for much of it. Um, and the reason that they struggled and Joe Patrick, which if you don't follow Joe and the guys at Dirty South Soccer, you should. Asked uh, Pineda after the game if how not having Santiago Sosa in the middle of the formation impacted Atlanta United, and Pineda liked that question uh, because he said it took Atlanta United a bit for its midfield to kind of gain control of the game, uh, and then they did as it went on. But that's why through the middle thirty-five minutes or so of the first half, Atlanta United didn't look great. It had Araujo's goal in the first five minutes, Martinez's goal in the last five minutes. But in that middle portion, Cincinnati really outplayed Atlanta United. Um, and part of it was because they could not get control of the midfield. But then they did, and off you go. And Izetu had another really good game last night. I should point that out because I've been, you know, I, I have been, I think, fairly critical of his lack of obvious production. But he's really shown the past two games. Not a question, but worth noting that all three DP scored tonight. That is true. Um, I was lucky enough to be in the building to witness Hollywood – that's their nickname for Luis Araujo's – first goal for United. See what I did there. I did Ben. been clever. Coffee break. All right. Alex asks, my question is simple. It's really not. I love it when people do that. I do that all the time too, but anyway. How historically lethal can our front four of Barco Moreno – Araujo, who I'm now pronouncing his name correctly, and Joseph B. This is purely projecting, but at the rate they are producing these past few games and clicking, albeit with some kinks to work out, they are starting to look look like they could tear through some postseason defenses. I don't want to overreact, but I think they have a chance to be truly, truly special by the time the postseason rolls around. Well, keep in mind, playoffs are about defense. You win championships in pretty much every sport except for the NBA, because no one has any idea how to play defense anymore with defense. Um, So I don't think they're going to tear through anybody in the postseason, uh, but we will see. But going back and looking at some stats, in 2017, Joseph Martinez, Miguel Almoron, Tito Viaba, and Emil Asad combined for 49 goals across all competitions, including 48 in the loss play. In 2018, Joseph Martinez, Miguel Almoron um, Tito and Barco combined for 61 goals across all competitions, including 54 in MLS play. Now, this group is not going to reach either of those numbers because Barco's missed time, Joseph's missed time, Rahujo didn't even arrive till five games ago. Um, but it has 22 goals with 10 games remaining. So, I think that it can probably reach 35 goals by the end of the regular season, which would be a pretty good mark. Uh, Considering the number of games, I didn't want to go and do the math on goals per game or goals per minute compared to those other two years. But if they continue scoring, then I'll go back and do that research. But if you put them together for, you know, a full MLS season with, you know, a few injuries or absences here and there, and I think they could challenge 2018. But, of course, I don't think Marco is going to be here past this year. um, So I don't think it's going to be something that we're going to get to see. All right, Rob asks, Doug, and this is a very, very, very excellent question or point made by Rob, so I want you all to pay attention to this if you can, please. Given the team's performance under Valentino and now Pineda, is it fair to once and for all bury the argument that the team's struggles were a front office issue and not a coaching issue? It seems like the players the front office has brought in are now doing the things we expected of them upon their arrival. They just finally have coaches who could bring that out of them and play the style the front office brought them here to play. Rob, that is a fantastic question and a fantastic point. Um, Bocanegra and Darren Eels came under, I think, justifiable criticism from me, other media, and the supporters for not not so much the results last year because it was a difficult year for everybody, but just the total style of play, and then bringing in Gabriel Heinze and that style of play proved to be disastrous, and to their credit, they got rid of Heinze I think more because he was breaking MLSPA CBA rules than anything else. Had he not been doing that, I think he might still be the manager right now. Um, But to Valentino and Pineda's credit, they are doing what Eels and Bocanegra and Jonathan Spector and the rest of the scouting department thought these players could do. Now, while Pineda is able to bring it out and Valentino is able to bring it out and Heinze couldn't or didn't, I don't know because I was not in the training sessions. The players say some of the same things about Pineda that they said about Heinze, his attention to detail, his, him wanting the players to know exactly what is expected of them and exactly what they're supposed to do. All that was said under Heinze as well. I think this is only my theory, a difference is that Pineda seems to show that he truly, truly cares about the players. He doesn't overwork them, he keeps training sessions short, he keeps them to a point, he keeps them focused and the players are done. Not any of the nonsense that Heinze did um, with the players uh, with the have your phone with you at all times and training all the time and long training sessions and a lot of scrimmaging and a lot of aggressive training sessions. I understand Heinz's reasoning, but when the results aren't there, then you have to make changes, and Heinz was just too stubborn to do that. Uh, Pineda is not doing that. Um, So yes, the front office does deserve credit. Um, The players deserve a lot of credit, um, but they still have to make the playoffs. If they don't make the playoffs, then the season is not a success. Coffee break. Ah. Clearly one question will stand out for everyone tonight. What in Hades was your freaking damn thinking in not shooting the ball at the end there? Either the dude has the biggest mental block I have ever seen in a player or somehow thinks a 5-0 scoreline is unfairly piling on an opponent. What the coffee break. Yeah, Adam, I don't know. You're watching that, and you're going, okay, he's going to shoot. Okay, now he's going to shoot. Now he's going to shoot. He's a dude that he just can't seem to get his mind to relax enough to make the right decision. Um, He's got all the speed, and he's got skill, but if you can't get your mind to settle, and you can't get your body to do what your mind is wanting it to do, then it just doesn't matter. And that's the case with Jurgen Dahn. All he had to do was shoot. All he had to do was beat the goalkeeper. And instead, he goofed around on the ball and got caught. Um, So he's a nice, nice dude. I always enjoy talking to him. I'll be stunned if he's still on this roster next year because that is money that can go to a lot of different places. Adam's next question, the caliber of Atlanta's opponent notwithstanding – it felt like Atlanta United's midfielders were working harder in part because they have more belief in what the team will do with the ball once it's recovered. They're not only quick to the ball, but also looking more downfield once in possession and finding more runners to boot. this sound fair? Yeah, it was fair. Um, you know, Valentino kind of started this, get the ball, look up, pass it forward. He doesn't want to see sideways. Uh, Martinez mentioned last night for that 30-minute stretch of the first half that I – Reference before, <clears throat> they were going sideways too much, or implied they were going sideways too much. Um, and it's, you know, it's, an, it's the easy pass. It's the easy way to keep the ball. It's the easy way to rest while you keep the ball. But it's not going to lead to goals. Um, and I think that the midfielders, I mean, it, it, a lot of this is once you start winning, once you start scoring, the belief in doing something grows, and then it feeds upon itself. That's what the team couldn't get under Heinza. It's what it had a hard time doing under interim Stephen Glass and a hard time doing under Frank DeBoer at the beginning of last year. But once it starts happening, it's a self-fulfilling mechanism. Um, So that's what you're starting to see right now. A different Adam asks, and all these are good friends of the podcast, I want to thank you all for your questions. Another substitute appearance for Bellow, is there an injury concern? No. Covered that before. Why would Mulraney start over him at left back or left wing back? I like Jake and he played well, but the world knows George is better. I think I covered that before. I think it's just Bello missing a lot of training time under Pineda, and I think he's going to get his starting job back. I don't know if it'll be Saturday, but I think it'll be the next game. Also, when we go up two or three goals, do you see how the key attacking players get more selfish? I didn't start to notice that last night. Barco um, held on to the ball a lot. Uh, Moreno did too. Um, but, you know, when you're up two goals, I don't blame the guys for trying to, you know, attack, be creative, kind of show what they can do. Um, is it a concern they get selfish that quick? No, I don't think it's a concern. Is it a concern if they don't get one? No, I don't think it's a concern. I'd hate the pressure to put Marcelino in a slump when the team is performing so well. I, I wouldn't worry about that. And he says he's looking forward to the next episode of A Cup of Doug in the Morning because he renamed my pod. Uh, If you can figure out a way to get soccer into that, um, then I'll talk to the the bosses. But I don't think they're going to rename the pod from Southern Fried Soccer to A Cup of Doug in the Morning. All right. Another sip of coffee, and we'll get on to the next question. Fong, friend of the podcast, asks – is it just me, or has Moreno looked worse than he usually has in the past few games? I know the spotlight isn't on him anymore, but he just seems to lose the ball a lot, and I haven't seen any of those beautiful long balls that he likes to play. I think part of that is just a change in tactics and the emergence of Barco and Araujo. Uh Moreno doesn't have to carry the offense anymore, as he did very well for a few games under Valentino. Um, because he has teammates who could do it. Marino has looked a step off speed-wise. He's never been the fastest cat, um, and he looked fast in the preseason, but since then, he he, he looks like he's running with weighted boots at times. Um, and I don't know why that is, but it is, and that could also be part of it too. It's a long season. He's played a lot of minutes. Um, it may be time that he needs a break, maybe not against D.C., um, just to rest his legs a little bit. I know they had the two weeks off, but. Still, it adds up, and then it's hard to get rid of. Um, But looking at his stats last night, um, because I haven't actually dove into the box score too much, Uh, Moreno did have a chance created. He did win four fouls. He completed uh, 83% of his passes. Brooks Lennon led the team with three chances created, which is interesting because I don't remember any of them. Um, Not to say they didn't happen, obviously they did. Alan Franco had three assists, but was only credited with two chances created. So there you go, MLS. Uh, If you could solve that one for me, I'd appreciate it. Um, And uh, Barco led the team with six fouls, one. Araujo, once again, led the team or tied for the team lead with Brooks Lennon with three tackles. Um, So there's some of the key stats. Andre asks, where would the Five Stripes be if Pineda was hired to begin with? It's a rhetorical question, but let me explain my larger point. Back in the offseason, my brother and I were kicking around ideas for the new manager, and he brought up Pineda. His reasoning was, before we get back to trying to conquer CONCACAF and the larger soccer world, we need to focus on MLS. In the interim period before we hired Pineda, we kind of publicly went big game hunting for both manager and DP and struck out. Atlanta United came in with grand aspirations of being a global club and has currently only reached the top of MLS. My question is, do you think United Brass came in with too high of stated expectations and should have focused on MLS initially? No, I mean, they did win the MLS Cup. Uh, They did win the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, They did win Campionas Cup, which are all MLS events. Um, I do think that they maybe um, we're slightly disrespectful of MLS and thinking that an MLS assistant couldn't lead the team to success. And you're seeing Pineda can. Now you still have to find out what the end result is. But, you know, part of being a global brand is hiring a global name and Tata was a global name and Frank DeBoer was a global name and Heinza to an extent was a, a global name. Um, and so, again, to their credit, they realized maybe that's not always the right path with the hiring of Pineda, and so far it's working out very well. Again, the team has to make the playoffs, or the season is not a success, but right now it's it's going okay. Um, Darren Eels is a very, very smart man. Um, and to his credit, when something isn't working and he recognizes that it's not working, and that it's not going to work, he will make a change. Um, so, we'll see what happens with Pineda. Um, you know, coaches come and go. I don't think is going to leave in the offseason or anything like that unless maybe Schmitzer were to retire uh, and he would want to go back to Seattle. Uh, or a club in Mexico came calling. Um, who knows? But I, I, I partially agree with your point, but don't fully agree with your point. But that's a great question, Andre. Thank you. Joshua says, I appreciate you mentioning my daughter's humorous critique of my yelling at the referee on your last podcast. Her name is Madeline, and she is nine. I'm sure she'd appreciate a shout-out. Hello to Madeline. As a father and stepfather of six kids, uh, the kids always enjoy the shout-outs on the podcast. Uh, you'll be new, amused to know she told my mother tonight but I said words at the referee that she's not allowed to say. The word starts with an S and ends with a K. Uh, so now I'm in trouble. Well, Joshua, you got to be nicer to the referees. You could say stink. It has the same meaning. Uh, but there you go. And Madeline, you keep on him. Keep them honest. Don't let your dad get away with stuff. Also, eat your vegetables. Uh, my question, any chance we sign – This is a retrospective question. We signed Luis Araujo if COVID-19 doesn't screw up the club finances and transfer values. He's no Miggy, but he's Miggy adjacent, in my opinion. Uh, COVID-19 will also affect what Barco sells for, I'm guessing. I would love to hear your thoughts on COVID-19 effects on the transfer markets. I'm still just bum-fuzzled how Atlanta United got Luis Araujo. Um, He is obviously a very, very talented player. He's He's a next-level player in Major League Soccer based upon his skill. Um, I don't know why another club in Europe did not try or attempt to sign him um, or were unsuccessful in signing him. He would seem to be you know, a, a starter for not the top-level clubs in Europe, but and I know Lille is a top-level club. Uh, But a lot of mid-level clubs in England or Germany or France or Spain or Portugal. Um, And they could easily have afforded him, uh, much more easily than Atlanta United, I would think. Uh, But Atlanta United got the deal done. And Rahujo said last night he came here to win trophies. He lifted two trophies with Lille in France last year, the uh, Ligue 1 Cup. Uh, I mean, the, the league-owned cup and then the the equivalent of their um, U.S. Open Cup or or um, FA Cup in France. I think it's called the Super Cup. Um, Look at that trophy. And that's what he wants to do in Major League Soccer. Um, so, and then Barco's transfer value, it's, it's going to be interesting. Again, Darren Eels has a long history of making profits with selling players. Um, but the the uh, you know a potential deal for Barco has got to be right team right club right price right situation for the player. almiron has gone to Newcastle and he's done well, but playing for Newcastle, you know, with his poor ownership and, and Steve Bruce, probably has not brought out the best in him. If he could have gone somewhere else, I'm sure in retrospect it probably would have been better. Barco. You know, Atlanta United has got to get its money back. So $13.5 million on top of salaries, on top of agent fees. So Barco's got to go, and this is just a guess on my part, top of, top of the head, back of the envelope, for about $20 million. That's going to be a lot for a team in Europe, I think, to pay for Barco. Um, only because of his size. He's still a little bitty dude. He takes a lot of punishment. The MLS season is long. The season in Europe is just as long. So uh, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, I do think that Barco is going to be sold in the offseason. I'm just curious about the money, and no, I have no idea where. And then the last uh, question from Joshua, given Lucho Acosta's record against Atlanta United, can we assume that Yapstam was giving up a little by not starting him? I'd be livid if I was a Cincinnati fan. Yeah, I was stunned that Acosta didn't start. I, I was really stunned at Cincinnati's lineup altogether. Um You don't start Jeff Cameron. You don't start Acosta. None of that made any sense to me. Uh, But Yapstom, I think, is not long for the Cincinnati world. And then our last two questions. Noah says, I thought we looked really good, but still thought we were sloppy in a couple of areas of the game. In your opinion, are there still major areas of concern for this team? Yes. Uh, I do think there are still some areas of concern for this team. I think that... The defense is still prone to some mental lapses. We had one from Alan Franco last night that Cincinnati couldn't capitalize on. They still have trouble dealing with that early cross that comes in. Cincinnati had one of those last night that should have been turned in for a goal. If you remember this year, a couple of goals were scored against Atlanta United in that way. So we'll see what Pineda, what he tries to work on in that regard. And then the last question from Connor, what have you seen that has sparked Barco's improvement? And does his good play recently change your mind about the ceiling for the team this year? I don't know what has sparked Barco's improvement, but he is definitely a much, much, much better player. He's faster, though he still led the team in fouls one. He doesn't look for those fouls as much anymore. He tries to stay on his feet. More importantly, he outruns defenders. He's making much better Choices with his passes. He had one play last night that was kind of the old Barco. He dribbled right into four guys when he had teammates who were open. Um, But that's really, I think, maybe the only bad play. There may have been another that I can remember from last night, but it was offset by many, many good plays, uh, including uh, the free kick goal and uh, his assist on Joseph Martinez's goal. Um, And he just – he does not stop running. He gives effort all the time. Uh, and that's just something that coaches want to see. And, I mean, I'm going to write about this, but Pineda said he worries about Barco in training because he just, from the first whistle of the last whistle, he does not stop. Um, so, Barco deserves a ton of credit. And I've been fairly critical of him, I think, in his past. Um, but, He's a more mature guy now. I think he understands that he can't just get to Europe based upon name and transfer potential value. He's got to show results, and he is showing results. Um, he has career highs in goals and assists. His effort is just off the charts, and so credit to Marco He is doing what he needs to do uh, to get that move to Europe and to get Atlanta United winning. And that is going to wrap up this podcast a little longer than usual because y'all asked some great questions. And I thank y'all again for that. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and on Instagram at Douglas David Robertson. Uh, just a personal note, I was really sad to see or to read about the death of Norm MacDonald. I've been watching a lot of video clips of his. He was one of my favorites. I loved his deadpan delivery, I uh, loved his wit. Um, so if you have a favorite Norm Macdonald joke that you want to email me or send me a video clip I'd love to see it i also be curious what other podcasts you're listening to uh, my wife has turned me on to my favorite murder so I'm listening to that from time to time though I'm much more interested in the murder than the kind of the small talk at the beginning of the podcast and things like that so um, share those with me if you want to uh, I always look forward to interacting with you all Please, if you haven't been vaccinated, get vaccinated. Please wear a mask so we can get out of this mess. I want to travel with the team again, and until they do in-person, live, post-game interviews on the road, I don't think that's going to happen. And that's not going to happen until everyone is healthy and safe and everything else. And uh, hug your loved ones. This has been another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Y'all take care.